Fiona, thank you, Peter. Uh, it's well worth having that handout that hopefully got on the way in open, uh, where those two readings are printed. Uh, we're going to be focusing on the reading uh, from Acts chapter 2 this morning, uh, which is really a follow-on from uh, last night. It was a great night uh, together last night, thinking about our future as a church. And uh, this, this morning, uh, what I want us to do is to spend a few minutes looking at Acts chapter 2 and seeing uh, really a pattern uh, of what a gospel-shaped church looks like, uh, which I think I am praying uh, will shape our church as well. So let me pray, and uh, then we'll dive into the passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us, and in your love you speak to us. Uh, we thank you that you know us far better than we know ourselves and know ourselves as a church. And so we pray as we hear this word about the church that you would humble us, that you would reshape us where we need that, and that you would uh, form us into the church that would honour you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do want to share this uh, vision with you uh, of uh, this church shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a, a, it's a short passage, but I think a, a wonderful passage, a, a, a captivating passage, a, a passage that I think sparks imagination of what might be uh, in our own church here. But not just uh, sparking imagination of what might be, it also acts as, I think, a, a bit of a corrective for us. It's very easy over time, both for us individually and uh, for us as a church, to uh, lose sight of what a gospel-shaped church looks like and shape church into, a, well, our own image rather than uh, into the image of uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Uh, here is a passage that I think is a corrective against starting to think that church is an institution or a building, that that's what it is at its heart, or a corrective against uh, church being about our preferences and our patterns, or church being, well, built according to our will. Uh, here is a vision in just a few short verses at the end of chapter 2 of the church that God is actually building in this world. Not us, he is building. And it has unmistakable and unstoppable characteristics. It's not a church that will ever come about by our will or our planning or our vision dinners or our strategies or anything like that. It's a church that is formed by the work of the Spirit embedding this gospel of uh, God's own Son into our hearts. And uh, that's exactly what's happened in chapter 2. Uh, obviously, you've only got those verses in front of you. But if you've got a Bible with you or perhaps a Bible app, if you look back in chapter 2 earlier, this is a church that's essentially formed by a sermon. Uh, a gospel sermon has been preached. The Apostle Peter has preached it. Let me quote a few lines from his sermon earlier in uh, Acts chapter 2. He said this to those gathered, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's the sermon that was preached, a gospel sermon, a sermon about the Lord Jesus. And the impact that sermon had on the church, well, it's incredible. The very verse before our passage, verse 41, we're told this, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, there's an effective sermon. 3,000 uh, added that day as a result of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And each one of those 3,000 is a story of uh, a life changed by this gospel. 
Uh, we spoke last night uh, at the Vision Dinner about uh, our church being filled of, with stories like that, life-changing stories of how the gospel has changed us. Every single person around you who, who is a believer in the Lord Jesus has a story to tell. I, I wonder how many of those stories you know. I wonder if you know the story of the person next to you this morning, the story of how the gospel has shaped them and how they've been called by the Lord Jesus. But what Acts 2 shows us is that the gospel doesn't just lead to individual salvation, it actually leads to the formation of a people, of a church. And this church, in these verses, is characterised by a devotion to three things. They're all in verse 42. Here they are. Devotion to the apostles' teaching, devotion to fellowship, and devotion to the breaking of bread. They were the three things they were devoted to. And so let's look at this uh, vision, if you like, of a gospel-shaped church. But as we do, uh, here's, a, here's a word of, uh, I guess, uh, a caveat to what we're looking at. Let's not look at it with uh, rose-coloured glasses about the early church. There is sometimes a, a bit of a myth around about the early church, that the early church was perfect and idyllic and everything was brilliant. If we could just go back to the early church. Well, if, if you ever think that way, let me encourage you to read through the New Testament. Uh, read the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, see what the early church was like. It was full of mess and brokenness and sin and all sorts of divisions, uh, just like any church, just like us. We, we are not the finished product. And yet, amongst that mess, there was a work in progress and it had unmistakable signs of the gospel at work. And those signs can be summed up really in one word. It's the word devotion. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that word devotion, but, it, but it's, it's really two things. It's, it's speaking of the matters of the heart, isn't it? The things that we love. I wonder, as you think about your own life, what you would say your first love is. What is first in your heart? Well, let's ask that corporately. I wonder if, if someone came in amongst us as Warunga Anglican and they spent time with us, what they would say our first love is, what we love most. So there's the first thing. Devotion is a matter of the heart, but it's not just a matter of the heart. It's also a matter of the will. It's a matter of commitment. It's a matter of being in something, wholly into it, uh, throwing yourself into something. And, and the, the sort of the picture I want you to have in your mind is, is uh, the way Australians approach the surf at the beach. Uh, this is one of the things that struck me in returning from England uh, back to Australia again. Uh, the radical difference in the way Australians approach the beach to almost any other culture that, I, that I've seen. Now, most cultures, the English, for instance, it takes them about 10 minutes to get into the water, and that's probably mainly to do with temperature, but also culture. Whereas if you go to an Australian beach and if you sit there for, say, half an hour, you will watch uh, fully grown men and women sprinting at the water for no, no reason, no apparent reason, other than to throw themselves into this water. That's how they approach the water. And that's what devotion looks like. It's being all in for something. I was trying to think of another illustration, and the one that came to my mind is one of my first memories of my uh, dear colleague Josh is uh, him regularly turning up on a Friday wearing this shirt. And I remember uh, one of the weeks he turned up on a Sunday with his shirt and was told by uh, a member of our church, who shall remain nameless, that that was not an appropriate shirt for a minister <laughs> of the gospel. And I'm going to give him back his shirt. <laughs> but that's it. As I looked at Josh in this shirt, that, that, that sums up what we're talking about here. Here are people who are all in, committed. And what are they committed to? Well, we see they're committed to three things. Three things have won their heart. 
Three things drive their will. Now, here they are. Here's the first of them. You can see it on the outline. A gospel-shaped church is devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what did the apostles teach? Well, well, quite simply, they taught Jesus. That was their job. The Lord Jesus had given them the job of testifying to him in Jerusalem, as we see them doing here, and to the very ends of the earth. They were the eyewitnesses of Jesus, to speak of Jesus, to tell the truth about Jesus. And that's what Peter was doing in that sermon earlier in Acts 2. And the way we know their, their teaching was authorised, if you like, by the Lord Jesus and by God himself, was it was uh, authenticated by miracles. You see it there in, in verse 43, uh, signs and wonders that says, listen to this word. Uh, back in the, the previous chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 1, we're, we're, we're told who the apostles were. Uh, they were those who were around when Jesus was alive as he ministered and as he went to his cross and they were the first-hand eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. They were the people who said, we were there, we saw it, we saw him alive, we ate with him, we touched him, we walked with him. As such, it's, it is true to say that there are no apostles today, but we can still be devoted to the apostles' teaching because that's why it's been written down for us. That's what we have here in the New Testament. We have their testimony that was to go to the ends of the earth, and here it is in 2076, uh, miles away from Jerusalem. It has reached us. We too can be devoted to this. And in Acts 2, the church formed by the apostolic gospel was devoted to that gospel, heart, soul and mind. I wonder, as you approach hearing this word, this testimony of the apostles, as, as we've been doing together over recent weeks looking at Mark's gospel, do you have that attitude to it? Are you devoted to it as you hear it? If Wurunga Anglican is to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, it would mean that as we hear it, we would, we would be devoted to listening well, listening expectantly, listening humbly. We would, well, in the words of verse 43, we would be ready to receive it with awe, because it's the word of our God. Ready to receive it with expectation that it matters, that it's filled with hope for us. Uh, I remember years ago as a student minister at St John's Parramatta, uh, preaching at our evening service and regularly at the, the evening service at, at Parramatta uh, because it's right there in the hub of the, the city. Uh, homeless people who uh, were, were resident in the heart of the city there would come into the service to, to be part of uh, the, the evening service. And I remember preaching one night on, uh, from the book of Revelation and, and asking what was meant to be a sort of a, a question not expecting an answer back. Uh, are you ready for heaven? At which point, uh, one of the guys at the back, one of the homeless guys at the back, jumped up and said out loud, you bet I am, I've been ready for years. And I remember, he still burned in my uh, uh, memories, uh, uh, his face as he said it, he was utterly committed to that hope, clinging to it. I wonder as you hear the testimony of the apostles about Jesus and about the difference that he makes, whether you have that same heart response. Uh, it would mean not just being committed of heart, it would mean being soft-hearted. Uh, earlier in chapter 2, verse 37, we're told that as they heard this apostolic teaching, they were cut to the heart. It went right to the heart of them. They weren't hardened. They weren't uh, people who said, we've heard all this before. Of course they hadn't. It was brand new. I wonder if you feel, still feel that way. And it would mean being prepared as a church to dive deep into this teaching. Uh, 
not intellectually deep. Uh, it's not to say that if, to be devoted you have to be an academic. Well, that would rule most of us out, including me. But it does mean being committed to diving deep, not staying on the surface, being prepared to consider the implications of the Apostles' teaching, uh, considering its uh, impact on your life, considering the calls it's asking for in terms of repentance of faith. And so there it is, there's the first devotion. The gospel-shaped church is devoted to the apostolic word. But what follows from that first devotion is actually a second devotion that we see in verse 42. A gospel-shaped church is devoted to fellowship. Now, if there was a more um, uh, sort of stretched out, anemic word in the Christian uh, glossary uh, than fellowship, I, 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 I doubt there is. Fellowship uh, can now just mean, well, it's just a cup of tea or hanging out together. But, but the biblical word fellowship is rich and it's deep. And it, it means two things, essentially. It's, it's about what we share in. And from that, it's about what we share out. Uh, firstly, it's about what we share in, in the sense that fellowship for Christians is sharing in the deep and good and wonderful things of the gospel together because we know that sharing in that gospel together forms a relationship deeper than anything in this world it is in fact I wonder if you've ever thought about it this way the whole point of the apostles testimony and their teaching was to form fellowship uh, listen to this from uh, the apostle John in 1 John chapter 1 he says this we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? The reason that they're testifying these things is they want you to have fellowship together, but far more profound than that, they want you to have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That's what this teaching is about. It's about producing fellowship. The apostolic gospel actually unites us like nothing else can. Uh, it's stronger than nationalism. It's stronger than parochialism. It's stronger than any ism that we could think of. Uh, well, in the words of uh, Philippians 2 verse 2 says, uh, this is a gospel that can unite us as if we're one heart, one mind. I wonder if you've ever experienced that of coming across a Christian that you hardly know, perhaps in a different context, maybe in the workplace or maybe if you're visiting another part of the world. Uh, I remember uh, preaching once at a township outside of uh, Cape Town and uh, I knew not a soul there, but as, as we're singing together, the, 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 the resonance of we have the same gospel, the same Lord. There's such joy in that. Uh, I remember, again, a, another trip uh, going to Romania uh, uh, a number of years ago, and I was staying with a Romanian minister. He didn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak a word of Romanian, and we'd stare each other over the breakfast table, just sort of nodding. Uh, and then uh, one morning when I came for breakfast, he was reading his Bible, and He's pointing at a part of the Bible and he's, he's sort of this huge grin on his face. And I thought, again, there it is. We share this same hope. How good those moments are. I wonder if you feel that with one another. There'd be many people here that you are just getting to know. You share that bond. We are united here as Warunga Anglican, not by a postcode or this building or any other building or preferences, but the crimson cord of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that devotion to that fellowship expresses itself here in Acts 2, very simply in their commitment to gather together. You see what it says there in verse 42? They were committed to prayer, or, or literally the prayers, uh, committed uh, to essentially meetings like this, meetings where we pray and we hear God's word together. And interestingly, again, uh, in this passage, they, they gather in two modes. 
They gather in the temple. There's the big group, like this. And they gather in their homes. There's the small group. That might be a stretch, but I think it's there. And at the vision dinner last night, uh, we said one of the primary commitments we're asking of one another is to commit to gathering together as we reset these gatherings, these five gatherings that are listed there in the, in the vision booklet. Will you commit to one, wholeheartedly commit to one? Now, the other part of fellowship isn't just what we share in, it's what that sharing in causes. The more we share in the gospel, it will turn us inside out and we will share out as well. And actually, this is the most regular meaning of the word fellowship in the New Testament. And it's what's on display in our passage in verse 44 and verse 45. Fellowship at its heart for the Christian is having a loose grip on our own wealth and a generous impulse to give it away as needs arise. Verse 44 and 45 uh, show us that in, in a really radical way. And, but it's important to note this. It, it doesn't mean that this church in Acts 2 just gave everything. There was like this just common pool. All, all the resources, all the possessions are just pooled together because we're told, for instance, that they meet in their homes. But what it does mean is that they had a disposition, a free disposition to give out out of the, the generosity that God had shown them. And this disposition is ours as Christians because it's the disposition of our God. I mean, consider how generous God has been to you. Consider the life and breath and everything else that he showers on us each and every day. He is incredibly generous. And then his ultimate generosity in giving us new life at, well, huge expense. I listen to these words from uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. It shows us the sort of generous God we have. Uh, it says there, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you see the impulse of God's generosity? He, he gave it all away that we might become rich in the Lord Jesus. And that is the gospel that's actually shaping this church here in Acts 2. They're now exhibiting that same purposeful generosity. And so it is to be with Warunga Anglican, and it is wonderful to see it at work. Uh, I've seen so many practical expressions of this sharing out going on in our church family, sharing of meals as people are in need of them. Uh, uh, last night, uh, people sharing in serving us. I know some of those who served us last night didn't even get to eat as we ate. Isn't that amazing? Uh, sharing in lifts for those who can't get to things. Uh, sharing in possessions uh, for those who are without. Uh, they're just small examples, but they're examples of what this passage is talking about. And it is also the generosity that drives our mission as a church. The more we grow to understand how generous God has been to us in the Lord Jesus, the more we will be shaped by it ourselves, and the more we will long to see others come to know this generous God. And we want to be about that work, not just in 2076 and, and the suburbs around it. We want to be about it throughout the world, through our mission partners. Uh, our generosity is seeing that generosity spread throughout our world, in, in new churches, in other parts of Sydney uh, that we're supporting, in, in schools work in Karingai and Hornsby, uh, churches in Fairfield, uh, churches in country areas through the BCA, uh, Ministry in Cambodia, in Bolivia, in South Africa, in the Middle East. Our generosity is supporting that. 
And of course, there is the work we will do together locally as well. And we spoke last night about two significant steps that we have taken in, in this last year, two appointments. Uh, Gavin Parsons, uh, amongst other parts of his role, uh, serving the seniors of our community. And then the families worker that, uh, well, someone just accepted the role uh, on uh, Friday night and we'll be able to announce that in the next week. Again, seeking to serve the families of our community. Our generosity is making that possible. Two appointments that will grow our mission to two significant parts of our community. Now, all of that is brought about by our ongoing impulse to share out of what God has given us. Uh, one final devotion that we see in this passage, again in verse 42. A gospel-shaped church is devoted to breaking bread. And let me read verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I reckon with this phrase, the breaking of bread, we get to the very burning heart of the devotion that a gospel-shaped church has. The breaking of bread, it's actually a reference to, well, the meal that Jesus instituted on the night before he died, uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, the breaking of bread, the sharing of wine, it's a meal that we regularly share together as a church at all sorts of levels of formality. But the focus here in Acts 2, it's not on the style of that meal or even the meal itself. That's not the crucial thing. It's what the meal is proclaiming as as. The, as the thing that's at the heart of our gatherings. It says we are about Jesus here, as Josh started our service with. We are about the cross of Jesus. That's what this place is about. Being devoted to the breaking of bread is about being devoted as a church to remembering, to celebrating, to being fed and encouraged and spurred on by Jesus and his cross. To say of a, as, a, as a church, we are unashamedly and single-heartedly about Jesus. We as a church have one simple job as we gather and as we go from here into the world to proclaim him. And of course, we will do that by sharing in the Lord's Supper, but it's also the theme that's dominant through almost everything we do. It's the word we speak to each other, whether it's formally or, or over our morning tea. It's, it's the bedrock of our prayers. It's the reason earlier, as Josh prayed, we can claim forgiveness because of that cross. It's the reason we could boldly ask for our needs as Gavin did on our behalf. And it's the heart of almost every song we sing together. Uh, we're told in the Bible we're meant to do this until he returns. But wonderfully, when he does, here's what the Bible tells us, it's still gonna be our theme into eternity. Uh, listen to the song we're gonna sing in the new creation. This is from Revelation 5. And they sang a new song. This is a song to the Lord Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. We won't stop singing it. Let this be the mark of our church. Let us never tire of telling and singing this old story. You know what my prayer is for our church? My prayer is that anybody who visits Warunga Anglican or any ministry associated with our church, they would leave that gathering in absolutely no doubt what our heart is. It is with Jesus and it's with his cross. My prayer is that as that gospel shapes us, it would drive us out of here to the community around us who as we gather together as his people this morning, live right now without God and without hope in the world. And we know he is the only hope. 
And so my prayer is that will not only drive us out to the community, it will drive us to our knees. That for the honour of his own name, the Lord would do amongst us what he did for this church in Acts 2 and what he is doing all over our world this day. You see it there, verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the church you are forming uh, with your Son, the Lord Jesus, at its heart and its head. And so we pray, Father, that you would shape us by this gospel. Uh, give us the same devotion that we see here in Acts 2, that we may honour you in all we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the band are going to come up now. We're going to sing our final song. It's a song really about being the church. And it's a song about the very heart of our church, the Lord Jesus. So as the music begins, let's sing together the chorus of the saved.